Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses, talking all things college football. Lucas, the college football season officially came to an end uh, earlier this week uh, in uh, Los Angeles, the Georgia Bulldogs, the TCU Horned Frogs, and uh, what a game it was for a couple of minutes in the first quarter, and then uh, Georgia Bulldogs took over. Uh, Lots to get to from that game, lots to get to um, as well. January is still kind of a busy month in the sport. We got transfer portal stuff and and uh, staff changes and uh, a lot of stuff to get to tonight. Excited to break it down. Lucas texted me the day after the title game, and he's like, I can't wait to get on the pod this week. I need to, to air some frustration on the coverage of the title game. So uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm not as hyped up. I, I texted you right after I had worked out that morning. So okay. that was when my testosterone levels and everything were at like an all time high. I should have just recorded, like just recorded myself right there. And then we could have <laughs> just edited it and plugged it into the pod. Cause I think it would have, would have been an all timer, but still very excited. Just uh, not really too excited to talk about the game. Cause the game itself was not exciting at all, but the aftermath and kind of uh, the, the narratives coming out of this game to me have just been wild. Yeah, so a little run of show here before we dive into UGA and TCU. We'll talk about the national championship game, Georgia 65, TCU 7. We'll uh, touch a little bit on some miscellaneous things, kind of go around the country. Uh, Garrett Riley, the TCU offensive coordinator, rumored to go to Clemson to to be their offensive coordinator. Kevin Warren, uh, reportedly, I don't know if it's official yet, leaving the Big Ten Conference. Yeah, it was a fair, yeah, Bear, Bears did announce it. Okay, today. so Kevin Warren now the president and CEO of the Chicago Bears, former commissioner of the Big Ten. We'll talk about what that means for that conference. Uh, a little bit of drama down in Florida with uh, with Billy Napier and a, a five-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada, uh, which I think is an interesting conversation around NIL and player empowerment and high school kids commanding a lot of money, which I think will be an interesting conversation. And then we're going to wrap up tonight's show uh, by doing another conference in our uh, our season recap series, we've we've done the Pac-12, we've done the Big Ten. We're going to get to the Atlantic Coast Conference ACC season in review coming up later uh, on this episode. Lucas, we'll start with the national championship game. Uh, we both gave our prediction last week. I think we each had Georgia winning by like eleven or ten or nine, mm-hmm. something like that, and. They were, you know, leading by 11, 10, or 9 in the first quarter and then <laughs> completely blew the doors <laughs> off of TCU 65-7. to It is the largest, by far, margin of victory in national championship game history. It is uh, at least, you know, recent history, I should say. You know, BCS, college football, you know, era. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what Princeton was doing to Yale back in the late 1800s or whatever. <laughs> um, and the largest victory, largest margin of victory in a bowl game. 58 points. Um, a couple had 56 over the last handful of years, but largest bowl game. Uh, I'm just going to go over some stats real quick. I'll toss it to you for your thoughts. They're not pretty. Uh, Georgia, 32 first downs, TCU, nine. Georgia, 254 rushing yards. Uh, TCU, 188 total yards. Georgia had over 400 more yards than TCU. They had 589 yards of offense, 8.2 yards per play. They did not turn the football over. Stetson Bennett, uh, awesome in this game. 18 of 25, 304 yards, four touchdowns. He wins two national championships. Georgia averaged almost six yards a carry. I mean, there's not a lot to get to. Uh, TCU's first offensive snap was a false start. They went three and out. Georgia goes down, scores a touchdown. And TCU 
got close. Uh, I believe it was 10-7 mm-hmm. after a Max Duggan rushing touchdown, and Georgia never looked back and added some style points to it. So that was my quick kind of 10,000-foot view of the game. What were your uh, impressions of the actual football game? And then we'll get to some of the, the dialogue around TCU. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the stats by Georgia. One of the things that stuck out to me with TCU was uh, Quinton Johnston, who is a proverbial probably top 10 first-round pick in the NFL draft, had 160 yards receiving against Michigan. He had one catch for three yards um, in this game. We had uh, said, what, like, he needed to get at least probably nine or ten. Like, we had said, you got to yeah. feed him the ball. Mm-hmm. And we had talked about him versus Keely Ringo, how it will be an interesting matchup, and how Ringo gives up explosive plays. And, uh, yeah, it didn't happen. No. They had uh, nothing. I think they only had a few plays over 15 yards. But just like you mentioned, a complete ass kicking. I mean, 65 to 7 is a score that you normally see like a top 10 beat, like an FCS team, like a bad FCS team by. And Georgia did that to the number three team in the country, um, who had just come off a win where they beat the number two team uh, in the country. So, yeah, it was this game was over. I was telling you before the pod, I was watching this with. Some friends of ours, uh, a friend of mine, his wife, both big, avid Georgia Bulldog fans. So, But even they were bored. I mean, by the third quarter, we were just – I don't even think we were paying attention to the game. We were just kind of talking as if the game had already been over. But, no, it, it was an ass-kicking. It sucked because the two semifinal games were amazing. I thought this game was at least going to be close, but – Georgia played their best game of the year, played an A-plus game, did everything basically perfect, and TCU did the complete opposite. Yeah. So, and I think that that's the reason why you got the result that you got. Yeah, clearly, um, I think the first play of the game, Jalen Carter just mangled the TCU center, like six yards in the backfield, and like impacted a throw from Max Duggan. And right there, it was like, all right, this might be a different class of, of player, certainly, right? Um, I watched most of the first quarter. It was 10, nothing Georgia. My girlfriend and I then put on a a show and I went back towards the end of the first half. It was, I think 24 to seven Georgia scores. They go up 31, seven, it was like a minute left. And you're thinking, all right, maybe TCU will, you know, lick his wounds and never know. And then Duggan throws a pick. Georgia scores again. Like (sighs) there are a couple of, of things that I take away from this game. I think Georgia Georgia is the elite of our sport, and they might be in a tier of its own. You look at the last two years, right? I mean, Alabama was a little down this year. They lost two games. I mean, Georgia hasn't lost a regular season game since the COVID season. They've lost one game in two years. That was to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And they've done it with a former walk-on at quarterback. I mean, they haven't even gotten their Trevor Lawrence, Sean Watson, Bryce Young, to a C.J. Stroud-level quarterback yet, and you know that's coming. Um, Kirby Smart has this just a well-oiled machine. Uh, they're focused. They compete. Um, because, I mean, I was talking to you before we pressed record about Todd Munkin. I mean, how good is Todd Munkin? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just look at the way Georgia does. They, they lost so much off of that off of that team last year, a, a lot of it defensively, but they also lost, you know, James Cook. Um, and what he does with Stetson Bennett, what he does with, you know, Brock Bowers, with Washington, the tight end, with their running game, they get guys open. They scheme guys open. They have great talent. Um, 
And, and you know, I was going to bring this up to you. I mean, how underrated of a quarterback is Stetson Bennett? I mean, think of, like, the quarterbacks to win multiple national championships. It's Carson Palmer. It's it's uh, Matt Leiner, right? It's it's uh, Tim Tebow. I mean, it's it's really – and Stetson Bennett is in that echelon now. He feels like he gets mm-hmm. no recognition. I mean, his numbers from the semifinal games, mm-hmm. I mean, were insane. I think he threw for four touchdowns in each game. I mean – 18 to 25 for four touchdowns, no turnovers in, 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 in this game. And besides Brock Bowers, like, I don't know if Georgia, I mean, obviously Washington, the, the tight end is really good. Uh, Darnell Washington, but even he had one catch of 28 yards in this game. I mean, Brock Bowers dominated, but they don't, I don't like they have the studs on the outside. No. Um, so really impressed with Georgia, really impressed uh, with what Kirby has done with that program. There is no program humming at the level that Georgia is right now in our sport. No. Uh, and I think the scary thing is Kirby's still a pretty young dude for a head coach. Yeah, I think he's like 47, 48. 47, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're talking about kind of comparing them to when Bama first started getting going against Saban. Saban was in his late 50s. Um, so as long as Kirby's healthy, I think this is going to get rolling. I think for a long time we always were wondering – like a program like Georgia, okay. I mean, they were good under Mark Richt, but were they maximizing what they were? And most Georgia fans, and I think most college football fans would say no. And they brought in someone to replicate basically the Alabama system for them. Uh, and like you mentioned, that's why it makes it scary. Sense and Penn has been fantastic. Like you said, it's not like they've had the quarterbacks that Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State, the other major programs around here have had. And yet they're still winning national titles with that. And that's why I think it's, it's really, really scary. And, you know, they might be the first team ever, um, at least in the modern era, potentially to have a three-peat. No, it's going to be difficult, but their schedule sits up very, very nicely for them next year. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're here to stay. And uh, that being said, I do want to, to make sure to make a note to commend, despite the results, TCU on what was – an unbelievable yeah. season for them. Arguably the best, I think the best story in college football this year. This team was five and seven last year. I know Georgia likes to think that they were going to finish six and six or seven and five this year, wherever deep fake or fake article that they got that said that. That was how nuts next, is that, man? How, that, how insane is that? I, I, I saw all the TikToks of all the guys saying that. I just, I can't. <laughs> For that, for those that 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 didn't catch it, there are multiple Georgia players who are giving interviews after the game on the field. They're fired up, a lot of adrenaline, and they're going like, "People thought we were going to go seven and five and six and six and five and seven. People thought we were washed." And I, and everyone on the internet's like, "Who are these people? <laughs> Take us to these people that had Georgia. Show me the the random AP writer in North Dakota." That had Georgia five and seven and had Vanderbilt uh, winning the SEC East. I, I I think Kirby's just posting ball sack sport articles that are saying <laughs> this stuff. Well, somebody on uh, somebody on Reddit said Kirby must create like fake Twitter accounts and like tweet at his players probably. to motivate <laughs> that either him or one of his like a hundred freaking off the field staffers. Right. That's probably a job for one of them. But that's what good coaches do. I mean, it reminds like Dabo is like was kind of the master of that when they were rolling. All their he would tell his players like, "No one thinks you're any good." While we're all kissing their ass, Saban does the same thing. Um, 
So kudos to whoever did that because that is that is that is great coaching. That's keeping a team motivated when they've already technically have done the primary goal the year before. But uh, but that expectation six and six seven and five that was kind of the expectation for TC. That was the expectation for TCU by right. many people this year was maybe just to make it in a bowl in Sunny Dykes' first year. Um, I think it just showed, and I think the reason we love it is because we see TCU, because we don't root, neither me or you root for a team that is considered a blue blood of the sport that gets top two recruiting classes every year. And we see a team like TCU that had talent, but we see that. And I think most fans of the sport are like, hey, if TCU can do that, yeah, we can also do that. Not lose by 58 points in a national title game, but hey, we can make a playoff and we can put a fight. I think we forget they won a playoff game to get here. It wasn't like they got blew out in the semifinals like numerous other teams that we've seen before. But, you know, kudos to them. I think it's exciting if you're a TCU fan. I think it's exciting if you're a fan of the Big 12 that, hey, a team besides Texas or Oklahoma was actually the first team in that conference to win a playoff game. Right. Um, and with those two teams leaving, you're going to have probably a team, I think, to beat in that conference for, for the time being. And I'm excited to see where they, they move on from here. Yeah. So let's, let's touch on TCU and the narratives of some national college football, uh, I don't know, pundits or sports pundits that have basically, they are using this loss to push their narrative that TCU should not have been in the playoff. This is why Alabama should have been in when the playoff, why expand the playoff? If it's just going to be Georgia, Alabama every year, Yada yada yada, Lucas. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna leave the room. I'm gonna go to the bathroom, and I will just let you. Uh, I will just let you get on, get on the soapbox and uh, and uh, give us a little chat here. Well, you go to the bathroom because I think most of the uh, most of the comments by people should belong in the toilet. Uh, Ooh, okay, I, I like that because a lot of shit was coming out of people's mouths. Sorry, this is a PG podcast. That's my one my one expletive. Um, for the night, but oh my god, I, you knew it was gonna freaking. Ha- I think that was like nothing upsets me more than you can predict something is going to happen. You're predicting it because you kind of want to be wrong for once and be pleasantly surprised. But no, I wasn't. It was like basically halftime. You go on Twitter, which is just once when you're frustrated, the worst place in the world to go on is Twitter. Um, and you basically saw all the pundits, and I texted you during the game of numerous people that were tweeting. I'm like, nothing, I guess, angers me more than when I see people that don't, like national pundits, you know, don't follow the sport like we do, that don't, they follow it for, they follow the big programs, the main games. So they probably weren't following TCU all year. The only game they probably watched was them losing to Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. And them spouting their mouths about like, oh, it's the biggest mismatch. This was so predictable why it's supposed to be the four best teams are we kidding ourselves and i'm just like frothing like tcu it wasn't like this was a semifinal game even then there's no merit one alabama if they were the best one of the best four teams in the damn country why did they lose two of their 12 games one to a nine and four team another one to a good tennessee state first off also to go on that point i hate that everyone says alabama should have been in it drives me nuts that we just forget that like Tennessee beat them and finished with the same record. Yep. And their loss was also to another like four loss team in the regular season. Just saying. Um, and they lost to them on the road. Uh, 
so to me, Tennessee should have been in that discussion. But anyways, and I hear people say, well, they say we need the four best teams. Okay, well, they had 12 chances to prove they were the best, and they didn't. TCU there played is, there is there is not there is no other sport where that happens, by the way. No. Like, the Golden State Warriors right now are under 500. The mm-hmm. NBA, at the end of the season, if the Warriors are in eighth place in the West, they don't just say, mm, we think the Warriors are one of the four best teams. We're going to move them yeah. up to the two seed. No other sport does that happen where it's like uh, the four best teams. Like, it's college basketball, NBA. Could you imagine if when the Rams played the Bengals in the Super Bowl, they were like, eh, you know what? Like, uh, we really want the two best teams, so we're going to do Kansas City and Green Bay. Sorry, like, they're the yeah. one seeds. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Why play the games? Why yeah. play the games if they if they don't matter? Yeah, I completely agree. It's just like, then just pick the teams you want to play and call the damn playoff an invitational. Yeah. And just make it a round-robin tournament because that's what you clearly want to see. I'm sorry. And TCU went through the gauntlet. Yes, they lost in their conference championship game. Yes, I know they lost to a team that Alabama beat the doors off of. But one, it was a bowl game, different story. But it's also just like, it's just the mental gymnastics. It's just, I, it was just so hard and it was so predictable. And it's like, okay, well, did uh, did TCU have a win against the top five team this year? No. Did who TCU did? They just beat freaking Michigan the week before on yeah. a neutral site. So you might have said, hey, they're not good enough to make the top four. Well, they obviously were. They beat another t- an undefeated Big Ten champ they defeated in the national title game. And to me, it was just like, yeah, I get they got blown out. But like, for me personally, for this to be a game, Georgia probably had to play a C-plus game. TCU probably had to play their A game for this to be a close game or a game that TCU could win. And as I mentioned before, TCU probably had maybe their worst game of the year, easily their worst game of the year. Georgia played absolutely damn near perfect. And I don't think, I think this result was an outlier. I think nine times out of 10, Georgia probably still wins. Um, But I think it's within at least covering a couple touchdowns or something like that. But it just frustrates me because we have the same damn argument. And I love the thing that made me laugh hysterically was the same uh, dumbasses who say like that the 12-team playoff is going to ruin college football. They want the four teams. All of a sudden, they changed, and they flipped. And they're like, you know what? 12 is going to be great because we're not going to get a matchup. TCU is going to lose much earlier. So it's actually great that we're playing this. And it just boggles my mind because everyone wants new blood in the postseason, all this. But then they do nothing but freaking complain when a team like TCU earned their way, but they're not a freaking helmet school, so they don't get the benefit of the doubt. They completely forget Alabama just three years ago got beat by 30 freaking points to Clemson in the national title, and nobody was saying, oh, well, it's we should actually put the four best teams. It's the equivalent of like this weekend if the San Francisco 49ers beat Seattle by like 24 points. It's the equivalent of the next day being like, see, this is why the Packers should have made the playoffs. This is why the NFL should have put the Packers in, the best 14 teams. Like, why, why, then why play the games, guys? Like, what does it matter then? If your predisposition is Alabama's the best team in the country, clearly the games don't matter to you then. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really hard to go undefeated 12 straight weeks. That's what TCU did. Yes. 
By the way, TCU beat Texas by a greater margin than Alabama did. True. And Austin. they played in Austin. With with so. Quinn Ewers. So, yeah. like, I, I – Alabama's just the big brand that got left out. Because you're right. Like, Tennessee would have had the better resume, although they lost Hendon Hooker at the end of the year. But it was – what gets me is what I said earlier. There is no ar- other argument like this in sports, right? There's no other argument where – a team loses, and then we say, eh, they just they they're not in the same class as the like." It's like then you look at the NFL when four and three seeds win the Super Bowl every year. Guess mm-hmm. what? It's hard to get hot at the right time and win three straight games or four straight games, whatever it is. You know, it's it's infuriating that people just look at recruiting rankings and and maybe NFL draft prospects and say these are the best college teams. Like yeah. we don't. We don't look like like we we like that's not that's not what college football is like. You play the games, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like if that were the case, then just put A and M in the in the in the 14 playoff, right? Oh wait, <laughs> you know, put oh. Miami, put Florida, put you know whatever. Like college football is is the only sport where we see this happen, where the there is such there's are there are different rules for helmet schools and mm-hmm. different schools for the the non traditional blue bloods mm-hmm. and the the um the margin for error for teams like TC like imagine if TCU had lost a game in the regular season and won the Big Twelve they might not yeah. have gotten in like who knows you know what I'm saying like the uh, the mental gymnastics that people do to push their narrative right I mean it's crazy I'm this is a tweet from Peter Burns I sent you and Blaine the other night uh, from January 10th the SEC played the Big Twelve champion the Big Twelve runner up the Big Ten runner up and the ACC champion. 4-0 and outscoring them 204-48. to When they go to a 12-team playoff, it's just a matter of time before it's three or four SEC teams in the Final Four. Not all CFB conferences are created equal. Now remember, Lucas, we, we have to play the game. If the mm-hmm. SEC team wins the bowl game, it's because they're better. Mm-hmm. If the SEC team loses the big bowl game, it's because they didn't want to be there and their guys yeah. opted out. Yeah. But Kansas State loses the bowl game to Alabama. They're just not as good. But if they would have won, it would have been well. Alabama would they? They just want to be there. They want to be there, even though their two best players, Willie Anderson and Bryce Young, clearly, yeah, could have opted out. Willie wanted to be there. When 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 the SEC has a bad bowl season, when they go like four and six or five and seven, whatever, all I hear is like, yeah, the bowls don't matter. Nobody cares about them. The SEC SEC teams are so distraught by not making it to Atlanta or to the playoff that they don't care about them. So many draft picks, they all opt out. And when the SEC does good in bowls, it's like, see, some conferences are built differently. Yeah, man. I, I watched a and They were just built differently all year. Florida? Oh, man. What a built different program. <laughs> Alabama's best win was Mississippi State? Oh, man. Oh, what, a, what, what a season for them this year. You know, it's, it's crazy to me. Just remember, Ole Miss was like a top ten team at one point. Ah, and, yeah, that's uh, right. Finished one and five in like their last six games, including getting their butts blown uh, by. Uh, I think Texas Tech beat them by like twenty some points in their bowl game. But doesn't matter. They clearly did not want to be there. But no, I agree. It's it's the benefit of the doubt stuff. It, it drives me off the wall because, like, for instance, like I'm not saying Ohio State didn't deserve to be in. But if they were, let's say another team in the Big Ten, let's say they were, let's say they were Iowa, played the same schedule and finished eleven and one, got blown out their last week of the season. Iowa's not making the college football playoff, right? 
Ohio State is because they came out of the gates ranked number two, lost only the last game of the year, and basically got to stay up there. Like I'll tell you what, Lucas, Georgia's going to be real tested next year. Look at this marquee non-conference schedule. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, and at Georgia Tech. Woof! My goodness. Don't forget their cross-divisional games of at Auburn. Oh, man, Jordan Hare. Yeah. Auburn, another one. Oh, it just means more in the SEC. Look at Auburn and A&M and Florida losing to Vanderbilt. Yeah, it just means more. <laughs> Kentucky. Oh, my goodness. And then they, they, they play Ole Miss from the West as well at home. Oof. Just built differently, man. Just a built Still. different conference. <laughs> Give me a break, hey, man. Give I mean, I, I get it. Like Georgia, Alabama, they're all going to be up there. LSU is going to be a hot, I think, surprise pick probably by a lot of people to make the playoff yeah. next year. But you know what? It is what it is. At least this is the last year we're going to have to deal with the 14 playoff. Yeah. And our, our arguments for who should be four is just going to be replaced by like, like you mentioned, it'll be a nine and three or like eight and four SEC team or even sometimes a big 10 team getting in over like a 10 and two Pac-12 or Big 12 chant or Big 12 or anything like that for that 12 spot. That's what it's going to come down to, and it's going to be glorious. Can't wait, man. I'm excited for the for the for the uh, 12 team playoff. I think it's going to be fun next year. You know, it it, it will be uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, anything else from the national championship game that you want to uh, you want to discuss? Um. Anything else we gotta get wasn't, to? Wasn't any. We kind of joked that it would be a quick, uh, quick recap. Probably just do one sentence. Um, but no, I don't think I have. And, oh, I will say, David Pollock, uh, just basically shouting right in front of Nick Saban that his alma mater Georgia is now the standard in college football. Took some guts. I will give him credit. I'm not sure if you saw that at during the post game. Uh, yeah. Nick Saban was yeah. Sitting, it was on the panel for them for the national championship game, and uh, yeah, David Pollock basically says they're the standard bearer. They have passed everybody else, and Nick Saban just kind of like gives them like a shrugged shoulder look. <laughs> uh, it was great. Uh, all right, before we move on to talk about uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Warren, I'm going to read you the 24/7 Sports way too early top 25 for 2023. Get your thoughts here, real mm. quick. Number 10, Oregon. Number 9, Washington. Number 8, USC. I swear this isn't just Pac-12. <laughs> hey, the Pac-12 is going to be good. We're talking about the ESC being good. Pac-12 is going to be loaded next year, which is going to be fun. Just j- just means more in the SEC, though, Lucas. Don't forget. Just means more. <laughs> uh, number 7, LSU. Number 6, Florida State. Florida State is going to be a hot team mm-hmm. in 2023. Number 5, Penn State. Number four, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan. Number two, Alabama. Number one, Georgia. So we have three SEC teams. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, we have three SEC teams. We have one ACC team. That's Florida State. Clemson's 11. And three Pac-12 teams at the uh, the tail end of the top 10. What are your kind of early thoughts here as we, we turn the calendar to 2023? No, I think Florida State, you mentioned it, probably going to be – I might talk about them later when we recap the ACC for this season at the end of this, but um, I think they're going to be a hot pick. You know, we were talking about what 
talk about Clemson here in a little bit with the, the coaching hire they did. But, I mean, you could make an argument they were the second-best team in the ACC this year. Um, and I don't even know if there was anyone close um, to, to being a close third. But, yeah, they're going to be exciting. They have a pretty – tough schedule again next year but i think it's good but otherwise i don't think any surprise at the top and like i mentioned too that the pac-12 is going to be really really fun um just curious if it's going to happen again like it normally does where the conference just beats itself up and ends up being its own worst enemy when it comes to getting teams in the playoff yeah i mean like we talked i talked about i talked about a couple weeks ago and i'm sorry to all the sec people it is harder to go undefeated in the pac-12 than it is in the sec you have one more conference game. You play 10, you play nine of the other 11 teams in the league. Um, and so it's like very hard to miss three or four good teams. That's why they beat each other up. Like Georgia next year is not going to play Alabama. They're not going to play LSU. They're not going to play Texas A&M. They're not going to play Mississippi State. Like it's, 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 it's easier to go undefeated in conferences like the ACC and the mm-hmm. SEC where you only play two teams from the other division because you have an extra con- an extra non-conference game, you know? So yep. we'll see. Sorry about uh, that. All right, moving on. Uh, we had talked about it a little bit off the top. Big Ten Commissioner uh, Kevin Warren leaving his post uh, after a couple of seasons and taking the CEO job and team president of the uh, Chicago Bears. Lucas, you're kind of our resident Big Ten expert there. Warren well, wasn't there very long. I think he took over no. from Jim Delaney, right, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, cool. Warren there for a couple of years. And Big Ten seemingly positioning him itself to be a, a real power player in the next decade plus. Just signed a massive TV deal. Um, I had texted with you guys. I thought this was a strange move on the surface. seems like a downgrade to go from a conference commissioner to a team president. Um, what were your uh, impressions and uh, your reaction to the Kevin Warren news? Yeah, I think when we heard, I know we had heard news, I think it was a few weeks ago that he was interviewing for this and was considered a, a leading candidate. I kind of had the same reaction as you. My thing was, okay, you're ahead of, what is going to become, at least for a few years, the most valuable and richest conference in college athletics. And you're going to leave that to just be the head of one NFL team. Now, Kevin Warren has a long history, came from the NFL, was working in the, the front, the business front office of the Minnesota Vikings um, for over a decade, was with a couple other franchises. And from Kind of reading the tea leaves of what I read, I think, you know, Pete Thamel had reported on it, Dennis Dodd did. It wasn't very well liked uh, in Big Ten circles. A lot of the ADs, a lot of the presidents did not really get along with him very well. There was rumors he was just really annoyed with how the, the college game worked and thought it was kind of behind the times and was just frustrated with kind of the bureaucracy of everything. That there was rumors that because his contract uh, was up, in 18 months and there wasn't a lot of confidence that the the presidents of the big 10 wanted to renew it so you can look at this as probably maybe a more of a mutual parting of ways where i think people in the big 10 because it was rocky i mean his first year had covid where remember them in the big 12 they canceled their season was not a popular move 
by yeah. a lot of people, um, especially in, in the in Big Ten country. And then, but then he adds USC, UCLA, which looks like a great movie, at least for the future of the league. Uh, he's going to make it the richest league uh, in college athletics. Um, however, apparently a lot, after that, his rhetoric about expansion and stuff really did not sit well with a lot of the ADs and presidents were just kind of wanting him to shut up and just kind of focus on college, the, the college aspects of athletics. So I think it was a mutual setting. There are rumors that he kind of aspires, one, to be a, a team president in the NFL, but also maybe when Goodell retires to be kind of a front runner for, uh, for an NFL commissioner role. So I think it was a mutual parting after looking at it. Um, but it leaves the Big Ten in a precarious spot. They just signed that new TV deal. It's in a really good position. Who are you going to bring in now? It's going to be a, a very coveted job. You go and rob Jim Phillips from the ACC, who was longtime Northwestern athletic director, was considered the runner-up uh, the last time the Big Ten job came open. But they're going to want someone that's going to want to be there. I mean, Jim, you mentioned Jim Delaney. He was there for the commissioner for over 30 years. And yeah. now your next commissioner is here for two and a half. So, like I said, I think a mutual parting. But he, he left the Big Ten, I think, overall in a better spot than what it was when he took it over. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they hire to replace him. Yeah, I have an article up here from on CBSSports.com. Uh, this is by uh, Barrett Salee. Uh, five uh, potential replacements for Kevin Warren. Jim Phillips is the first one mentioned, hired as the commissioner of the ACC. In 2021, uh, was the Northwestern Athletic Director from 2008 to 2021. Uh, Burke Mangus, ESPN Television Executive. He's the President of Programming and Original Content at ESPN. Mark Silverman, Fox Television Executive. He's the President and COO of Fox Sports, responsible for live events, studio programming, production, and marketing. Uh, and then Gene Smith, Ohio State Athletic Director. Bit older, 66. He's been an AD since 1986. And then Kerry Kenny, a Big Ten uh, executive. He's the senior vice president of television, media, analytics, and emerging platforms of the Big Ten. One thing I, I think the Big Ten needs, like, I think you need to hire a college person, like a, a college, whether it's a sitting AD like a, a Gene Smith or somebody that deals with college television, like the ones mentioned from ESPN and Fox. Um, I think. I think a lot of people in college athletics are realizing that there's like a storm coming and mm -hmm. this whole thing of athletic directors, administrators, and coaches kind of lining their pockets with money and the student athletes kind of having to fend for themselves with NIL. And then before that, basically nothing, just like, you know, backroom deals and, you know, cash, you know, handshakes. I think that's coming to an end. And at some point the player compensation is, is, is coming whether it's in two years, five years, 10 years, and that's going to be very messy. You know, does the Big Ten do a conference where they say, all right, we're going to pay every player here a certain amount of money, or we're going to give every school a salary cap to to pay players? Does I mean, it feels like the NCAA wants nothing to do with this and will have no enforcement and no oversight. It wouldn't surprise me if certain schools break away from the NCAA and the college football playoff just creates its own. Like, there are so many, I think, interesting, and this is a conversation we can have for hours in, in you know, the coming months, but like, there are going to be major changes in the landscape of college football. And I just wonder if Kevin Warren is like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go make seven figures. I'm going to go 
be the president of a of my my hometown team where I'm where I I currently live and and the Chicago Bears are it's a landmark franchise in the NFL. He gets to be an African American president, like a lot of a lot of benefits. Bears are trying to get a new a new stadium and you know some new funding, and he can lead that project. And um, but yeah, I I I I I think there's college people and there's non-college people and mm-hmm. and the non-college people i think it's hard to come into this it's such a unique model right where almost none of the money is being directly given to the players players are getting compensated we'll talk about jane rashada here next um but it's it's not regulated it's not there's no consistency to anything and i think there could be a lot of headaches here uh, coming up so that's my take. No, I completely agree with you. And, it, and that kind of always felt like the way, you know, when you just watch Kevin Warren talk and the things he says, you know, he kept talking about at his at Big Ten Media Days that he wants the Big Ten to be this disruptor in the industry and wants to lead um, kind of the new era of, of college athletics. And I just don't know if he really had an idea for what that was going to be. Um and it, it just never really felt like a great fit there. And I, I completely agree with you. I think you need to bring someone in college. But as we've seen with you know, guys from you know, the hiring from the, the Pac-12 in the Big 12 recently, like getting maybe not, you know, administrators or former ADs, you know, they're getting business people who know how to run a good business, marketing guys who have good connections. And like you said, like I think Kevin Warren looked at it, he's like, hey, I set the Big Ten up to succeed. I kind of did what my strength was, which was dealing with um, you know business contracts and stuff like this. Uh, I don't want to, like you mentioned, I don't want to deal with NIL or eligibility and all this other stuff that encompass, uh, encompasses dealing in college athletics. So, I, like I said, I think it was a good move. Um, yeah, I think it was a good move for both. And um, like you said, I think a guy like Jim Phillips – I think that's who most people are going to say is going to be the next big 10 commissioner. I think a lot of people wanted him the last time and, you know, it would be a good move for him because we all really don't know what the future is going to look like with the ACC over the next decade with the TV contracts and and everything like that and and them falling behind. So it it would make sense on both, on both accounts for them. And it brings kind of more of an adult to the room, a guy who instantly demands respect with, ADs and other presidents in the Big Ten. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens here. Uh, moving on, we, I, I kind of teased it a couple minutes ago. We're we're going to touch on the uh, the Jane Rashada saga that is happening uh, at Florida. For those unaware, Jane Rashada is a class of twenty twenty three quarterback uh, out of uh, Pittsburgh, California, out of the Southern California area, rated by two four seven Sports, the number seven quarterback in the country, number fifty six overall player, a top eight player in the state of California. Jane Rashada committed to Miami in, 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 in the fall. And then a couple of months ago, decommitted and, and changed his mind to Florida after watching Miami in the fall. I, I can't really blame him. Um, and uh, there were some, you know, rumblings late in the process. He could be a flip. Is he, how strong is he with Florida? Sure enough, doesn't end up enrolling. He was, his plan was to enroll early at Florida doesn't show up on campus this week when classes resumed reports were he asked out of his, you know, letter of intent and some 
speculated it was academics and, and I, I saw a report on the, the Florida 24 seven site that was like, no, it's just like academics. Like, don't worry. He's got a transcript thing. And they're working it out. And sure enough, it was not academics. It was, it was uh, monetary. Uh, apparently there are issues with Florida's collective and the money that he was, you know, promised the Orlando Sentinel reported today, north of $13 million over the length of his time at Florida, which is just an insane amount of money for a non top, uh, you know, 20 overall quarterback, uh, you know, overall prospect. Um, Lucas, this is such an interest, like such an interesting conversation we can have about this is the future, right? I mean, if Mm -hmm. you want to play in the big boy of college football, you risk this happening to you. And I think it's so fascinating how NIL is just the wild West. Now the NCAA has set this up to where the school, like technically, by letter of the law in Florida, school officials cannot be affiliated with NIL. Like they can't be brokering these deals. You have to go to the collective, which is also not supposed to have any affiliation with the actual school. Like it's such a backwards, weird, just messed up system where, you know, how much of this money is real? How much of this money is not? What can they promise? What's in writing? Can the player be held to the school? Can they not be held to the school? It's it's confusing to me. I have no idea what is happening. All I know is certain players are going to be likely paid a lot of money to come to school, and these certain players are not always tied to that money. Or if the money, if the checks don't come in when they should, um, this is kind of what you're playing in now. You know? Mm-hmm. No, it's. It just because we you knew this was going to happen. I know he's not the first case, but it's obviously the most, it's obviously the biggest one. But you knew these collectives were going to oversell and basically guarantee, like, they obviously got in a bidding war. Like you mentioned, like, Jalen Rashad is a, a very high level recruit, but he was, he was like, what, the sixth or seventh ranked quarterback in his class? Seven. 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 So. <laughs> I doubt Arch Manning is getting that much money. To me, it just, when it comes to the football side, when you look at Florida, to me, it kind of ekes a desperation of kind of where that program is right now, that they feel like they have to shell or at least promise this type of money uh, to guys on their roster. Um, and this is them coming off of a six and six season where they, or six and seven season where they didn't look particularly great. Uh, in their last month with losses to Vandy, getting shut up by Oregon State. But, no, I think this won't be the last time we hear something like this. But like you mentioned, this is what happens when you have a head, uh, kind of an official legislative body that decides to do nothing, puts it in the hands of probably the wrong people to be directing this stuff with boosters. People have too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, cause probably what happened was he was like, Hey, they were probably going to give him money and like a bonus or something like that, like a move in bonus for him, uh, when he first came in and there was probably no money there because they had no idea where that some of this money was coming from, probably guys that they shouldn't be trusting. And like you mentioned, the university can't do anything about it. Cause if they did, they're technically breaking the law. <laughs> it's just, it's just nuts. The fact that collective is now like a well-versed term now in college athletics and it didn't even exist a year and a half ago um it's just sort of nuts um 
but yeah, but if I'm Jalen, I get why they're not doing it. It's like, hey, you guys aren't sticking to your word. We picked you over a lot of other schools because this was promised to us. Um, it's just interesting to see some schools because you still have at least some schools saying that they're not they're not doing this pay for play where they're paying guys before they even step on campus. Like we'll set them up when they get here and all this stuff. I'm not sure how real that is for some of the bigger programs, but no, I think it just shows a, a dark light, but also, I mean, 13 million, that's more than what some first round draft picks are getting. And those guys have at least proven themselves at least at the college level. So to me, that's just kind of ridiculous. And like I said, I think it just also reeks of desperation on Florida's part that they're, they're trying this hard to get what we considered to be maybe like a top 30-ish player. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild, man, when you look at the past history of like guys. So in 20, 2022, the number seven-ranked quarterback in the country was Gunnar Stockton from Georgia. He went to Georgia, didn't play at all this year. 2021, the number seventh, the seventh-rated quarterback was Ty Thompson went to Oregon, has played two years, has not started. And then in 2020, the number seventh rated pro-style quarterback was Tyler Van Dyke, who has had a really nice freshman year for Miami this year, not so much. My point is, you know, I don't understand why we're throwing millions of dollars at these quarterbacks that have accomplished nothing. If you want to give a million dollars to Stetson Bennett or Caleb Williams or Bo Nix or... Sam Hartman or Devin Leary or Brennan Arms, like whatever, that's fine. But I, and it's only going to be a matter of time before the, the big money booster, because remember like these collectives have to have to raise money up front. Mm-hmm. They also have to keep that money coming in, mm-hmm. you know? And this is the thing that kind of upsets me is like, you have these schools that are signing coaches to seven, eight, nine million dollar a year deals. They're giving coaches 50, 60, 70 million dollars. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's got 84 million dollars left on his contract. And then I'll still see like posts on social media from like the Gator Collective. It's like, donate $10 a month to help the future of Florida football. You know, donate $15 a month for Oklahoma or whatever. And I'm like, why are these multi, multi million dollar athletic departments soliciting more money? From their fans. So Joe Schmo making $60,000 a year is going to pay $20 a month so that you can help get the four-star tight end from Texas. Yeah. It just, it It, doesn't make any sense. This model makes zero sense. The big Ten's signed a billion dollar a year television deal. mm -hmm. Like, what are we doing here? It reminds me of like when COVID first hit and like a bunch of billionaire owners had to like furlough their staff. And yeah. They would, do like, they would do like a GoFundMe to be like, help us support our, <laughs> our workers. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm like, I don't know, maybe pay Billy Napier a million dollars less a year. Maybe that's the answer, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe Davos Sweeney doesn't have to make $12 million a year. Maybe he can make $9 million a year. You give the other $3 million to the team. Or maybe instead of, you know, updating your facility that you just updated two years ago, um, so you can put in plasma screens in every locker. Um, well, you know, and, and use that for your, your star running back for a little and bit. That, well, and, 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 I, and I think that's what's going to happen. Because I, I, I like if you're a let's say you're the CEO of Roadie Industries and you're a multimillionaire, are you going to give two million dollars? 
to like build a new weight room? Or are you going to give $2 million so that you could sign the five-star quarterback or retain your oh, current so, quarterback? So I've already thought about this scenario. Always playing okay. I always said, if I ever became a rich millionaire, like I was going to be like that booster that's like in the background of like all the trophy presentations. Like <laughs> 25% my income is going to it. But the, that is the maybe the one positive about collectives. Cause I have thought about this because I've logged on to Wisconsin's collective, the varsity collective, and they have these different tiers that you can donate to. Like you can, you can donate $25 a month. You can donate a hundred and you get all these like, whoops, all these like perks and stuff like that. And I'm like, I would, I honestly, because in my mind, I'm like, I want to get really good players and I like the players should get the money. So like, I would probably just, my humanitarian side would probably just be like, I'm going to donate to them. Cause I actually think that's going to go somewhere versus right. great. It goes to a freaking facility that we could easily paid for it anyway. But, but how about but. this? You build the facility. Your name is on the facility. You That's pay true. for the five-star receiver to come to your school. He bounces a year later to go play for LSU. And I'm still Who knows what happens? Look at, can you imagine the, the, the people that donated to A&M to sign that recruiting class in 2022? Imagine what oh, they're yeah. thinking when they see half that class transfer. Well, well, this is the thing I just thought in my head. I could be donating this money. All I'm doing is subsidizing some rich a-holes like marketing scheme. Like yeah. I'm basically paying for them to pay other people to do their own commercials. So they're getting like free marketing. I didn't even think about that. So I might not do either anyway. They, uh, um, but anyways, no, I, I get that though. I will say if I only donate just to get my name on something, it would be a huge ego trip, but I would <laughs> totally go for it. If they were like, we'll put your name on like the South end zone gate. Like we'll call it the roadie gate, which sounds stupid, but we'll call it whatever. I'm like, yeah, sure. Do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy, man. And this is like, we've talked about this for months, college football, from December to July is going to look different. It's it's mm-hmm. just different. You're going to have kids leaving the program, transfer portal, NIL. It's it's great drama. It's college football has been a, become a little bit like the NF, like, like the NBA, where there's so much drama when the game isn't played that sometimes the regular season like takes a back seat. Yeah, but we still love college football Saturdays. We still love game day. We still love mm-hmm. you know uh, like we still love the games but it is just it's a different i can't even imagine what it's like imagine being billy napier right now and you're trying to figure out like all right do we have rashada do i go after walker howard do i need another quarterback graham Mertz is like what's the deal like i I can't imagine being coaches at that level because it's not every program right Mm -hmm. like i don't think asu has a collective and they're getting transfers but like certain teams aren't in that pond but i can't imagine being like you know, whether it's Mike Norvell or Dabo or whatever. The other thing I was thinking of was it's strange how we only really know about a few collectives, right? No one talks about Georgia's collective or Alabama's collective or Ohio state's collective or even USC's. Like there are some programs that we just, they're really good. Like you can't tell me Georgia's not paying to get players on campus. You just can't, but you don't hear a word about it. Ohio state, same thing. You don't hear a word about it. No, I, 
Well, do you think it's because I've thought about because like we see it all the time where, you know, in professional sports, like players who are like ring chasing, like guys yeah. towards the end of their careers will take major discounts to play for really good teams. I feel like we only we don't hear about that one because before collectives, those guys were getting the top players. And I just don't think those guys have to they don't have to be like a Florida and offer an obscene amount of money. Yeah, I'm sure those guys are getting paid. A lot of those players were probably going to get paid regardless if Georgia offered them or not. Like Bryce Young, we heard that last year. Like he hadn't even played a snap and he was already making, you know, yeah. over a million dollars. Um, and obviously uh, Alabama, you know, they went after other schools for paying players and all this stuff, even though I think well, we all and know it's that's a, BS, but it's a really good point because AM and Florida and Miami, they have to make noise because Georgia can just say, hey, five-star cornerback, look at all of these guys we just put in the NFL. You want to come here? Fine. You don't? We'll turn the, we'll, we'll turn the high four-star into the star. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and Florida can't do that. Texas A&M can't do that. Miami can't do that, right? Like, if you're, if you're Lincoln Riley, right, like USC, their, uh, their quarterback commit for 2023 was Malachi Nelson, who was the number two quarterback in the country, only behind Arch Manning. I don't know if they have to pay Malachi Nelson a dime because Lincoln Riley can go, Hey, this, you see my office. Look at all these Heisman trophies. I have. <laughs> Caleb Williams, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. Look at these number one overall picks at quarterback. I've, I've, I've coached. Mm-hmm. You want to go take the money to go to Texas A&M and you watch them go five and seven this year. Go ahead. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So yeah. I, I think it's a good point. Like certain schools like Alabama, like, Alabama, you have produced nine first-round offensive tackles. Like this was a big thing with the uh, the kid from Iowa, right, Caden Proctor. And every you know he was committed to Iowa for he was a number one offensive tackle in the country from the state of Iowa. Committed to Iowa since the summer. Flipped to Bama in December, and everyone said, "Oh, NIL." Saban bought another one. All the Iowa fans were mad. But now Iowa's turned out good offensive linemen. But like Nick Saban can say, "Hey, man." We've had nine players drafted in the first round at your position in the last like 12 years. You want to come here and be developed and play for championships? Fine. You want to go make more money at Iowa and watch that yeah. offense? You know what I'm saying? So I do yeah. think that is a big part of development versus like the immediate money. And some schools, they don't have the development to sell. They have to sell the immediate money. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And and like we mentioned too, I think it's just when you reach that certain level, like if you're at Georgia, like Stenson Bennett as a walk-on is probably in NIL deals is probably making one to $2 million. And that was yeah. probably never offered to him. Like, I just think like you mentioned, like, yeah, you're sacrificing first. Like, yeah, you might not make a million dollars your freshman year, but you become a starter on our team. You'll probably make that. And also you're going to play for a national title. And then also you're probably going to be a first round pick first or second round pick at worst um, if you're starting for us. So I completely agree. I just like you met, like I thought you made a good point. Like those people, like the ones we hear about, they have to sell this right now because they don't have the pedigree that these other programs they are trying to play catch up. And for them, this is the best way for them to do that. Yep. Interesting conversation. Love stuff like this. This is the benefit of the off scene is like, we can kind of deep dive into conversations like this which i I think are fascinating stay Mm -hmm. tuned next week when we map out the entire 2024 big 10 schedule and put the teams in pods (laughs) (laughs) 
which I definitely I definitely want to do, by the way. I really yeah, like I do too. experiment to, to to put everyone in pods. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap the show up by doing our ACC season recap. Uh, last week, we touched on uh, the Big Ten. A couple weeks ago, we touched on uh, the uh, Pac-12. Uh, we'll touch on the SEC, maybe the Big 12 here next week or into uh, early February. Um, we have four superlatives that we kind of use to base our conversation off of. We have most surprising team in a positive way, most disappointing team, which coach did the best coaching job, and then team you're most intrigued to kind of follow heading into 2023. Lucas, uh, let's start with most disappointing team. I think we probably both had the same one, but I will let you go first. Uh, most disappointing team in the Atlantic Coast Conference in 2022. I, I, te- I texted you and was just like, I already know who it is. And then you sent me a just a unbelievably perfect gif of uh, describing who that team was. And it was the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, maybe yep. one of the... They were up there with with Texas A and M as the one of the most disappointing teams in college football this year. With we talked about just in our last section there, like all this hype, uh, Miami was finally spending money. They had these huge boosters backing them. They had this big NIL collective that was going to go out and get money. They hired Mario Cristobal, who had a ton of success um, at Oregon, and they just flat, you know, they just uh, they just. Uh, yeah, fell flat on their face. Yeah. Um, and this was a team that had momentum. They won, I think, three out of four. They ended the season seven and five last season. They had Tyler Van Dyke, who was the ACC freshman of the year at quarterback. Like, it looked like it was all set up well. But, you know, for, for all the talk that we, we talked about with Mario Cristobal when he was at Oregon, how their teams were physical, great defensively. They were not that. They were not physical at all. They got pushed around. They gave up 45 freaking points to Middle Tennessee State. Yep. Um, they, the crowd shots at Miami games as the year went on, I, th- I think were just a weekly occurrence uh, where you saw a stadium that was sometimes 25% full. Um, it was just really disappointing. Now, I, I don't know. This could have just been an adjustment year. You heard Mario at the end of the year basically said, like, we just had guys who really had to grow up, that it was about him trying to establish the culture that he wants. Not everybody liked it. They had a decent amount of guys transfer out at the end of the year. Uh, But they did right now. They currently, I think, have a top 10 recruiting class that's coming in. Oh, yeah. um, Finished signing day really, really well. So I think that's a bright spot for them. But they were – in a division where North Carolina ended up winning the coastal, it was very, very up for the taking for them to, to really make a splash their first year. And they just didn't. Yeah. It's a uh, boy. It's, it's pretty brutal. Five and seven for Miami. They miss out on a bowl game. Tyler Van Dyke throws for only 10 touchdowns. Uh, their leading yeah. rusher. Henry Thanks a couple times too. Yep. Jake That's Garcia, good. the backup had 800 yards, five touchdowns, four interceptions as well. Uh, their leading rusher had 617 yards. Their leading receiver was tight end Will Mallory with 538 yards. They only averaged fewer than 24 points a game. Um, I mean, just some dreadful losses. I mean, talk about uh, you lose to Texas A&M 17-9, the 45-point debacle to Middle Tennessee. You lost 45-3 to to Florida State, 40-10 to to Clemson, 42-16 to Pitt. Their three ACC wins were Virginia Tech, who was really bad, Virginia in four overtimes, and then Georgia Tech. Um, 
and you're right. The crowd shots were really kind of concerning if you're a Miami fan and you, you just wonder like that program, since they kind of moved off campus and, and moved in, into the dolphin stadium, it, there, there's just been no juice, right? They had, they had the one year with Mark Richt and like the turnover chain when they brought it into, into fruition and it was cool. And Miami was back for a year and then it they just never really haven't been able to recover. And listen, maybe John Ruiz and the billionaire who's funding their NIL collective and can get it back. And certainly you're right. I think Miami had a top five recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is going to be a very important year too for Mario Cristobal. Uh, what does it look like? You, you, you will play Texas A&M this year. The ACC is changing format. So there's no coastal and Atlantic. You have three protected opponents and then you'll play the other, uh, other, uh, what 11 teams or other 10 teams on a, on a rotating basis. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I picked Miami to win the coastal in the preseason and uh, that didn't happen. Uh, so they are my, they're my disappointing team as well. A couple other teams that I, I kind of penciled in that we can maybe talk about quickly here, Boston college, three and nine, uh, just a dreadful year three for Jeff Hathley. And that has turned really sour for the Boston college Eagles wake forest, uh, seven and five regular season. I think with all that team returned with Sam Hartman and AT Perry mm-hmm. and, and some of the guys on defense that they brought back, um, they played Clemson really tough in like early October, and then the season kind of cratered, um, culminating in that disastrous third quarter against Louisville. A um, couple, any other kind of disappointments or any other teams you want to touch on here before we move on? Yeah, I thought um, other disappointments. You kind of mentioned on them, I, Virginia and Virginia Tech. I think were a lot worse than I expected them to be. Yeah. Um, especially Virginia with, I knew they had to replace basically their whole offensive line, but they still had weapons at, at receiver. You had one of the best quarterbacks in Brennan Armstrong. Um, and they were just terrible, uh, especially on offense. Brennan Armstrong had one of the best years in college football in 2021 and was had seven touchdowns and 16 picks um, under that new coaching staff. Um, and then Virginia tech, I guess, I didn't think they were going to make a bowl this year, but I think I underestimated how much of a rebuild that Brent Pry has there. Um, losing to Old Dominion the first week of the season too was not a not a great look. Um, I think maybe, uh, but yeah, kind of going off of that, you know, Louisville I think can be intriguing next year. They didn't start off great, finished seven and five, and then Scott Satterfield leaves. But we all thought they upgraded with with Jeff Brom as their head coach. Yeah. So interested to kind of see on them and um pit i think was just a typical pit team yep. pat narduzzi i think is doing really nice things there and uh they won nine games uh for the second time in his tenure there so kudos to them all right biggest uh, surprise for me positive surprise was mike elko and the duke blue devils eight and four in the regular season uh a win in the uh i believe it was the military bowl over uh, ucf they beat a nine-win UCF team also in their bowl game. Mm-hmm. What a first year for Mike Elko. We had talked about them in the preseason. Neither of us were very high on them. I think the over-under was like three and a half. I think we both took the under, too. I think we both took the under. We, I mean, they had a, they had uncertainty at quarterback. They lost their best receiver, Jake Bobo, to UCLA. Um, there just wasn't a lot going for this Duke team. And Riley Leonard was really good. 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, threw for almost 3,000 yards, was also their leading rusher. Um, they had two receivers over 600 yards. 
And, you know, if you if you look at the schedule, uh, Duke could have been a lot better. All four of the losses were by single digits. They lost, including three by fewer than three points. Lost by two points at Pitt, lost by three points against North Carolina, and lost uh, kind of one they're going to really be uh, kind of staying up late thinking about is a 23-20 overtime loss to uh, Georgia Tech. Um, but, I mean, you compare and contrast Mike Elko and Mario Cristobal, right? Mario Cristobal came into the league with all the fanfare. Um, Miami guy coming back and, and energy and enthusiasm, and he goes 5-7. and seven. And uh, I believe they what? Miami turned the ball over like eight times in that game mm-hmm. against Duke, something crazy like that. Duke goes into Miami, beats them, and Eight wins in the regular season for Duke. Nine wins if you include the bowl game. Awesome season for Mike Elko in his first year in Durham. And already seeing him on some lists on some hot shot coaching candidates for some bigger jobs. So uh, Duke is my surprise of the ACC. Yeah, they were mine as well. I think a lot of us were shocked because Mike Elko had been such a good defensive coordinator. When we heard that he was taking the Duke job, I think a lot of us thought he kind of – maybe should have waited or really was kind of questioning if that was really the best opportunity that he thought he was going to get. And obviously Mike Elko was smarter than all of us. Cause he obviously saw something at Duke that he thought he could turn around really uh, right away. And like you mentioned, all losses by, by single digits. Um, and they're going to be returning, you know, Riley Leonard, um, their star quarterback is going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC next year. Um, interested to see what they can do. And like you mentioned, I think if he has one more good year, would not be shocked, like you said, if he's on a hot list for many other higher-tiered coaching jobs uh, next year with the resume that he has. Did you have Elko for best coaching job, or did you have somebody else? I would probably put him. uh, Yeah, I would probably put him. I just think, like you mentioned, um, with – with the expectations when I remember looking at the preview for them, it was a super quick preview. Cause I'm like, okay, this team is clearly rebuilding. They right. lost so many people from what was not a great team, but they lost most of their experience. They were going really young. Um, it just felt like this was like a typical year zero for, um, for kind of a, a lower tiered program. And the fact that they won nine games the way they won some of them, too. Um, and the fact, like you said, they might be a handful of plays from being a, a potential 10-win team. I just think it was uh, I just think it was incredible. I mean, they were close to winning the Coastal if they knock off uh, uh, North Carolina. If they hold on at the end of that game, they might have been in the driver's seat um, for the Coastal. So I thought... Yeah, I thought it was easily the best job. I mean, it wasn't just the best job in the in the ACC. I think it was one of the best coaching jobs, right up there with Sonny Dykes and those guys there for the one of the best in the country. Yeah, the only other name I'll bring up and the the guy that I'll talk about is Mike Norvell. Uh, I was going to mention Florida State as one of my surprise teams. I was not very bullish on this team. I think the over under was six and a half. Mm-hmm. I looked at their non conference schedule. I saw LSU, Florida, and and uh, Louisiana. I said that's that. That, that's difficult. Uh, you saw games against Wake Forest at Louisville, Clemson at home at NC State. I said, ah, man, the schedule just is tough. Hopefully they give Norville another year. Sure enough, he goes 9-3. and three. They go undefeated in the non-conference. They had the crazy win over LSU in week one in the Superdome. 
Um, it was kind of a tale of three seasons for Florida State. They start the year 4-0. Um, they lose three straight to Wake, NC State, and Clemson. And they finish the year with six straight wins, five straight wins in the regular season, and really all of them blowouts besides mm-hmm. the Florida game. Blew out Georgia Tech, 45-3 win at Miami, 38-3 win against Syracuse, a blowout of Louisiana, and then a win over Florida. And Mike Norvell, in year three, wins 10 games. They beat Oklahoma in the cheez Bowl. Not to be confused with the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, just the cheez Bowl. <laughs> uh, and they are killing it in the transfer portal. Um, one of the top transfer classes in, in, the, in the country. And we talked about them earlier as a preseason top 10 team and the highest rank. They, they will likely start the year as the favorite in the ACC, which is, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah. Uh, and like you mentioned, like, especially hitting on the portal last year, bringing in a guy like Jared verse, who is from university of Albany, you know, a powerhouse and he's, and he's coming back and he's coming back. Not only did he come and produce, he was a projected first round pick playing one year at the FBS level. And he is coming back. Um, they return a lot of guys on offense um, this year, including Jordan Travis, but also their leading, their two leading rushers, uh, multiple receivers um, that had really good years. Yeah, I think they're going to be. It might the, the, that might have changed with the the new uh, coaching news that came out of Clemson today, but I think they're going to be close to being the odds-on favorite to win the ACC next year. And I think you mentioned it too. I think they're going to be a hot pick. Uh, for that's that team that could sneak into the playoff next year too. Um, I think they're going to be what USC was this year. A lot of people thinking they could sneak in. I think Florida State is going to be that team this year. Yeah. So let's touch on Clemson. They are my my team to watch in 2023. Uh, I'm looking at a Wikipedia of the previous ACC champions, and Clemson has had a stranglehold on this conference really since 2015, um, when the Florida State dynasty kind of crumbled. Florida State wins the ACC 2012, 2013, 2014. Clemson wins it six straight years from 2015 to 2020. Pitt wins it last year, and then Clemson comes back, wins it wins it this year. So Clemson has won seven of the last eight ACC championships. And I think they're in a, at a bit of a crossroad, right? I mean, I think certainly 10-3 and three in back-to-back years, like there are – probably hundreds of programs in the country, a hundred programs in the country that would take that. Um, but for the first time, you're really seeing some upheaval, right? Garrett Riley from TCU there. I believe he won the Broyles award. Their offensive coordinator is rumored uh, to take the Clemson OC job. Dabo fires, Brendan Streeter, who had been there since 2015. Um, DJU has moved on. Kate Klubnick likely going to be kind of, he's, he's the guy now mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Uh, you'll bring back Will Shipley. I believe their top receiver just declared for the draft, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, they'll be losing a ton on defense. Miles Murphy, uh, Brian Brian Brzee as well, I believe, are, are both gone. I'm interested to see, does Clemson continue their stranglehold on this league, or do we see programs like Florida State, North Carolina, you know, Virginia Tech, maybe some of these programs that have been down a little bit start to get back up. Yeah, I, well, I think the the thing that gets to me about Clemson is we were we were talking about at the beginning of the year when we were doing a preview. We we're like, if they're average on offense, they're probably going to win the, the ACC just because of how good their defense is. And that 
basically was the case this year. They were not overly explosive. They were not um, a scary offense by any means with DJU this year, but they were in the games they won, they limited a lot of mistakes and basically just let Will Shipley kind of take over, use play action with DJU to get open receivers. And I think it's going to be kind of the same, though I think with Florida State coming on, they are going to have to do something more offensively, but they obviously are doing that, bringing in, you mentioned bringing in Garrett Riley. And I think that's a dangerous combination. To me, this was, that's a higher that you make, like if you're Dabo, who's been severely loyal to his assistants, that's a hire that you only make if you feel like you are falling behind. And I think he realized this, and this is him coming back. Hey, we're freaking Clemson. Outside of Alabama and most recently Georgia, we've been the other great program in the country, and they're acting like it. I think it's a great hire. If they're above average on offense, I still think they're going to be difficult to beat. They're still recruiting, still at a high level. Uh, we know the development that they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I still think until someone comes up and knocks them off head to head multiple years, I still think they're the class of the conference. Well, we've done this preview for like going on 20 minutes now. We haven't mentioned Drake May, North Carolina once. Yeah. ACC Coastal Champion in 2022, Drake May. Some people think, along with Caleb Williams, the favorites to be the number one overall draft pick in 2024. Um, there were rumblings that he was offered like $5 million to come play for, you know, certain schools and, and he stays loyal to North Carolina. I just saw that North Carolina fired Dre Bly, their secondary coach. Um, North Carolina was an interesting team, right? It was, it was kind of, it was a team to, to bet the over right early in the season. We had our North Carolina over principles and, um, a bit of a down year in 21, Sam Howell's last year, but they got a great, they have the best quarterback, you know, east of the Mississippi, I would argue, uh, with, you know, Drake May, and that that gives you a chance. Um, and I think North Carolina will be another one. They got a lot of talent that are going to be upperclassmen now. Um, you do lose Josh Downs, who was kind of a favorite target of, of Drake May. Um, but North Carolina is another team that I, I think will be interesting heading into 2023. Do they get better? Is this a situation where Drake may goes eight and four and kind of whimpers his way to the NFL, or is he that kind of generational player that maybe it's, it's a potential playoff team? Yeah. I mean, it, it me to me is how they transition. Remember, yeah, they still have Drake may, but they did lose Phil Longo their offensive right. coordinator who helped yep. develop a lot, you know, him and Sam Howell put together crazy good offenses there. Um, so I know they hired, I believe Chip Lindsay that I know you're familiar with um, uh, from your ASU days. He's now going to be taking over as their offensive coordinator. You know, they're loaded. Um, I still think whoever it is, I think their offense is still going to be one of the best in the ACC. It should just off of pure talent, but man, defense we thought maybe with gene chiswick coming back maybe they could get something of a functional unit i mean they were still terrible last year um you know ranking in the in the behind in the top 110s in most major categories when it comes to defense um i know there was rumblings just on the the 24 7 board of uh, of unc that 
I guess the coaching staff blamed that a lot on, on Longo's offense because they were so high paced that it didn't give their defense breaks and set them up in bad situations. If they didn't convert into touchdowns and all this stuff, we'll see. I don't think your defense is that bad if, if, if you're playing your offensive coordinator, but that to me is the biggest key. If they can get kind of been like what we've been saying for the last couple of years, their de- defense can be average or maybe even slightly below average. I think you have something there because like you mentioned, Drake may is going to be a, a Heisman candidate going into next year. Like you said, probably a potential number one overall pick. They're going to have talent on that side of the ball. It's just, will they be able to figure it out to at least put a functional defense in place? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, uh, I'm interested because you don't have coastal in the Atlantic. Right. And so it opens up a lot of mm-hmm. different scenarios, right? We know that it doesn't have to be Clemson versus somebody from the, you know, a 10 and two Clemson versus a a nine and three, you know, who, who knows, right? I mean, NC state picks up, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, Brennan Armstrong, right. I I believe NC state got as their transfer quarterback to replace, uh, Devin Leary, uh, Louisville with Jeff Brom, uh, first year head coach. I'm I'm excited for, I'm excited for Louisville with Jeff Brom. Yeah. Um, he brought brought over, I believe, Jake Plummer, who used to be his quarterback at Purdue. I just think Jeff Brown's a hell of a coach, and yeah. he overperforms no matter where he is. Um, in Louisville's recruiting, they were able to retain a lot of that really good recruiting class that Scott Satterfield had built this year. They brought in, I think, like five five four stars from the same high school in in California. I think from St. John Bosco. Um, and they just recruited in 24. They just got a five-star um, edge player from Florida. Um, I'm just intrigued to see what they do. Would not shock me if that is a surprise team that comes out, you know, five and one, six and one, um, just because I just think Brom just gives you instant credibility right away uh, when he's there. So, sorry, I, I just wanted to get my word in on, on Louisville. I'm had to get probably surprised. Probably gonna. <laughs> I'm just surprised. I just am always bullish on him. I was sad that he left Purdue. Understand it because I thought he made Purdue really fun, but um, I think he's gonna do the same thing. They're gonna maybe foreshadowing. They might be my TC. I was really high on TC going in the year. Might be the chance that I'm high on Louisville and might end up regretting that because I was high on Louisville this year too. And Hey, they still they still cash our over, baby. They still cash the over. It's Five true. and a half I was, cashed it I was for us. Doubting it, you know, when we talked highly about them and then they get shut out thirty one nothing to uh to Syracuse in week Ugh. one. But- <laughs> Syracuse is another one I was I was looking up. Six and oh Syracuse. Then they lose five straight and then they win their their last game, they lose their bowl game to finish seven and six. But remember that run Syracuse had, man. Like early October Syracuse was like the talk of the town. Yeah. Beating, they beat Purdue in Jeff Brom in a yep. crazy game in the dome. They started played, off six and zero. Played Clemson really tough as well in Death Valley. Yeah, they probably should have if they couldn't stop with the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in that game. Um, probably had a shot there in the fourth quarter, but no, they were they were a great story, and then just kind of as as great of a story as they kind of popped up and surprised everybody, they kind of just quietly just went back into the fold as the year went on though, when the schedule got brutal. It's, it's weird. Like if you were to just look at the end of the season, standings, like, Oh, like nice year for Syracuse seven and six. You're like, well, 
Could have been a lot more. Six and All right. Anything else in the ACC before we kind of wrap up tonight? We're at about an hour and 20 minutes here. No, not too much. I think it's a conference. It's just the ACC to me is kind of at a crossroads. Like we said, there's a chance they could be losing their commissioner. We've talked about kind of the monetary issues that the conference faces with their long-term TV deal. And I think a bigger issue right now is it's been down. Uh, and now Clemson, at least their standards has been down. You know, Miami went five and seven, at least Florida State's up. But I, these next few years, I think, are really good, are really big for the ACC with all the conference realignment. I hope it gets better because I don't want to see any more realignment, but um, it's an intriguing league. I think we know kind of right now who the top two teams are in Florida State and Clemson, and it'll be interesting to see how the rest of it shakes out, especially with there being no divisions uh, next year. Yeah, back-to-back years, no ACC participant in the college football playoff. Um, Florida State looks solid next year. Clemson looks solid. North Carolina might have the best quarterback in the country, so – Intriguing storylines, and you're right. We really we hear a lot of the realignment stuff from the Pac-12, Oregon, Washington, right? But we don't hear anything about Clemson or Florida State or North Carolina leaving the ACC to go to like the SEC, which I think would make a ton of sense for Clemson and Florida State to go to the SEC. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. All right, man, this was fun. We got we got a little rowdy tonight. A lot of a lot of a lot of different things we covered, but uh, it was good to be back. It was. It was great to be back, and hopefully everyone enjoyed the episode. Um, please subscribe, or uh, if you can, please subscribe uh, on wherever yep. you listen to your podcast. Also, feel free to follow uh, our podcast at Running for the Roses on Twitter. You can also follow me at Lucas underscore Roadie fifty eight. Ryan, where can the people find you? At Ryan Baffo on the Twitter spear, mostly tweeting about the Phoenix Suns. So just know that for uh, <laughs> know that for sure. All right, uh, that's going to do it for another episode of Running for the Roses. At some point in the off season, we'll go to every other week. Um, we don't know quite yet when that will be, but uh, hopefully, we'll get another pod here in the month of January. Maybe Jane Rashada will have a school by then. Still don't know. Who 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 knows? He could be in the transfer portal already. For Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas, have a great night, everyone. Thank you for listening. Make sure to stay fun.